Exodus chapter 12, we began our study of this chapter last week looking at the first 13 verses in which the Passover was described and instituted. And now we're going to look at verses 14 through 28 where we find that a memorial is designated along with the institution of that sacred uh, redemptive act of Passover so that the Israelites would be able to Remember this night in perpetuity. And so Exodus chapter 12, we'll begin in verse 14 and read through verse 28. And this day shall be unto you a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread, even the first day you shall put Away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And in the first day there shall be an holy convocation. And in the seventh day there shall be an holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, that only may be done of you. And ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall you observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at even, ye shall eat unleavened bread until the one and twentieth day of the month at even. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your habitations, shall you eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this saying for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass when you become to the land which the Lord will give you, according as he hath promised that you shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? That you shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses, and the people bowed the head and worshipped. And the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So did they. Let's pray. Lord, once again, it is our privilege to come into your house tonight to gather together with our brothers and sisters in Christ to unite in concert together, singing your praises, to direct our corporate attention towards you this evening. 
Lord, I pray that you would just anoint this service tonight with your presence. And I pray and ask, Lord, that you would help us to see the significance, not only of this Passover, but of this memorial that commemorates the Passover. Father, may we realize how important this memory is. And may we ever guard and protect our own memory of our Day of Atonement. Father, I pray and ask that you would help me to make all the right connections, to connect all the right dots in Scripture from the Old Covenant to the New. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, memory is a powerful stimulant. Uh, Our memory can evoke emotions from our past. Sometimes we can remember something and it can bring us to tears. Sometimes we can walk into a house or a place and smell a smell that, that takes us back in time to a good memory or to a bad memory. God built us that way. God gave us memory in that way. And God uses memory in the lives of his people to help keep their worship fresh, to help keep their relationship fresh with the Lord. As you and I think about the powerful stimulant of memory. We, we have examples in our own American history that represent that. I remember when Melissa and I got married. We got married in her hometown of Stillwater, Oklahoma, and uh, we wanted to take a vacation, and so uh, I, uh, I had a connection. I was able to get us a hotel room down in San Antonio, which was about eight or nine hours away, and so we went to San Antonio on our honeymoon, and our hotel was right across the street from the Alamo, and I know it's not the most romantic thing to do, but we went to the Alamo on our honeymoon. We also went to an NBA basketball game, the one and only NBA basketball game I've ever been to in my life. And uh, so we were, we were honeymooning on a budget. But uh, I remember the Alamo, and it was a powerful experience to walk into that structure uh, that had been there for over 150 years where a great stand had been taken in the history of our nation's formation with its manifest destiny and expanding from the east coast all the way to the west coast and knowing that in some ways in a in a, an american sense that that was sacred ground because so many lives had been given as an act of sacrifice for our country if you're not familiar with the story, uh, there was an outpost there in San Antonio, and there was a fort, and it was occupied uh, by no more than 200 men and women at the time. And uh, Texas was trying to establish its independence from Mexico, and uh, Mexico didn't want to release it, and so they sent an army led by Santa Ana into San Antonio that surrounded the Alamo. They were outnumbered some 10 to 1. There were over 2,000 soldiers in that Mexican army. But those men and women in the Alamo took their stand, and they fought to the death, and they, they died, uh, every last one of them. Well, at the same time, Texas had voted to, to, to establish its independence, and Sam Houston had raised an army. And, and so as they were fighting that battle, the battle cry became this phrase that you and I have heard all of our lives, remember the Alamo. 
The memory of what was sacrificed there was a strong stimulant for those men to fight and continue to fight in what they believed was a just struggle. But you know, that wasn't just old history in the United States. Even in our own lifetime, there was an attack on American soil. We know it as 9-11 when the planes were hijacked and flown into the towers. And if you remember, not long after that, there were posters, there were commercials, uh, there were images with uh, the outline of the towers with these words, we will not forget. We will not forget. That is trying to use the memory as a stimulant for activity, for perseverance, for dedication, for sacrifice. And so that is what is happening in this part of the text, uh, that as God is prescribing this procedure for the Passover, to select the lamb, to sequester the lamb, to slaughter the lamb, to sacrifice the lamb, to apply the blood... He also prescribes that they make a memorial out of it. That's the very first thing that's said there in verse 14. This day shall be unto you a memorial because God wanted them to remember this day so that it would become a powerful stimulant for their journey and for their dedication and for their commitment to the Lord. You know, as you think about memory, we understand that our memories are not perfect and that sometimes we struggle to remember. And so we have created things called mnemonic devices that help us to remember. A mnemonic device is anything that helps you to remember. Sometimes it's an acrostic, right? If you were learning music class, Brad would maybe teach you that every good boy does fine. And, and that tells you what the lines are on the, on the treble staff, I think it is, if I've got that right. And uh, there's another acrostic or acronym for the spaces. It's face, I think, something like that. Uh, if you learned your months and, and the teacher is trying to teach you which months have what days, they might have taught you to use your knuckles. And your knuckle represents the months with 31 days and the valley, the months without 31. And, and it works if you put those hands together and you can go, January has 31 days, February 28, and then March 31, April 30, May, May and it goes on and, and it works as you go across. That's a mnemonic device. It is something that associates uh, with a memory so that we can recall it. Sometimes it's a song. We put a rhyme to the ABCs so that children can learn that and remember that. Well, let me show you the genius of God in his mnemonic device and helping them remember this sacred day. God used an association with every human sense, right? We have five senses. This memorial meal, this week of memorial is associated with sight, there would have been sights that were seen at that time that were never seen. The sight of the lamb that was sequestered. Uh, the sight of the booths and the other things that would be uh, set up. It's associated with sound. There would have been sounds at that time that didn't happen all the time. There would have been smells that were associated with this. As they roast that lamb with fire, as they prepared the bitter herbs, there would have been taste associated with this because this was a meal. They would have been eating certain things at 
this annual memorial meal that they didn't eat at other times of the year, like unleavened bread and like the bitter herbs, it would have been associated with touch. Somebody had to take the lamb. Somebody had to sacrifice the lamb. Somebody had to cut up the lamb. Somebody had to prepare the food. And so literally, God associated this day, and he gave a mnemonic device that includes sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch to help the people of Israel to remember the Passover, to remember the Day of Atonement. So God is giving them all the equipment and all the tools that they need to be able to carry this event with them into the future of their nation and to keep it forever. In fact, if you notice in verse 14, he says, And this day shall be unto you for a memorial. Even the day is significant because I would, I would direct you back to the very beginning of the chapter and I would point out to you that God actually rearranged the Hebrew calendar around this event of Passover. At the beginning of the chapter, he says this in verse 1, The Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month, shall be unto you the beginning of months, the first month of the year. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak you unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And so God literally reconstructed the calendar so that the very first month of their new year is the month in which they celebrate Passover, and it would happen on the 14th day of the month every single year. Now, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but can I just point out the fact that our calendar has been rearranged around a significant event in history? It is divided into B.C. and A.D., B.C., before Christ, A.D., Anno, Domino, and the year of our Lord. Now, you know, secularists are trying to change that. If you read any history book now, it is no longer B.C. and A.D. It is B.C.E. and C.E. The common era before the common era. It's humorous to me that they kept the B.C. part of it because that's so embedded in people's mind and just found a different acronym or different words to put with it. But you cannot deny the fact that our calendar today is structured around the Lord Jesus Christ, his arrival on planet Earth, the impact of his life. But as I said, I don't want to get ahead of myself. God establishes a new calendar, he establishes a certain day, and he gives them a memorial to help them preserve this memory. No doubt for this generation, these people who are alive in Exodus chapter 12, this is going to be indelibly imprinted on their collective memory. They are going to remember this day because they lived in bondage. They lived as slaves. They knew what it was not to have freedom and liberty. And they remember the day when the lamb was slain. And they're going to attach that to the memory that comes after this when they walk out of Egypt rich and free and walk across the Dead Sea on dry land and watch God flood the armies of Pharaoh and destroy them in a moment. I'm telling you, these people would be able to remember, but God didn't want 
just them to remember. He wanted every generation to remember. And the problem with that memory is the further we get away from it, the less impact it has on us. 1776 has a whole lot less impact on you and I today than it did in 1801 because we're not living under the oppression of a foreign government. We're not living through this taxation without representation at a, at a federal or governmental national level. And so we have these memorials that are meant to help keep it fresh in our minds. Not only is this a memorial, but God declares it to be an ordinance. An ordinance. An ordinance is an authoritative rule or a command. It is ordered. And if you notice, he says in verse 14 that they shall keep a feast by an ordinance forever. At the end of verse 17, an ordinance forever. And at the end, verse 24, you shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. Now God wanted this remembered in perpetuity from that day and forever forward. God wanted the Hebrews to remember their day of atonement. He wanted them to remember their Passover. He wanted them to remember the day that he redeemed them from Egypt. And by the way, it has been over 3,000 years. And did you know that Jews around the world still observe this Passover meal? Why? Because it was in order from God. God wanted every generation to get it. Every generation needed to have this experience with God. Even those ones who were not living in the day in which it happened, God wanted it to be fresh on their minds. And so he commanded a reenactment of it every single year, forever and forever and forever until the Lord would come himself. There's some interesting things that are commanded here. One is the command not to have any leaven in their bread. We know that there's some practical things. That they didn't have time. They were in a haste. They were to make that dough fresh, and they didn't have time to let it sit and be leavened by adding in the other leaven. That's one practical aspect of it, but it goes much deeper than that. Uh, God wanted them to keep this aspect of eating unleavened bread for seven days, and he was very adamant about it that there was to be no leaven in the house. Cast out the leaven lump that you have don't let it be in your house for seven days if it's in your house during that period of time you'll be cut off from Israel I don't know what all that entailed but I know that God was serious about them purging the leaven from their house well later on we would come to find out that this leaven is symbolic of sin and what God was trying to drive home was the fact that sin had no place in the home of his people. And that he wanted them to know what it was to purge it out. How do we know this? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 gives us commentary on this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, the Bible says this, Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened for even Christ 
our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You see, in this memorial that God was giving to the nation of Israel, it was not just a mnemonic device to help them to remember the events of that day, but it was also going to be used to teach you and I spiritual truths in the New Covenant. While we don't observe this issue of the leaven and the unleaven, what we do understand is that when we got saved, God purged our lives of sin and He wants to keep it that way. And that we're not supposed to mix that leaven back in. Now, I'm not a baker nor the son of a baker, uh, but I understand that that leaven permeates the entire loaf. Jesus told the story of a woman who hid some leaven and the whole basket or bowl of wheat became leavened or flour became leavened. The idea is that this piece of leaven automatically produces spores that somehow spread into the rest of the dough making it leaven. My understanding is that the way that they would make their bread is that they would always pinch a piece off of the loaf that they made and set it aside because it was leaven. And then when they would make a new batch of dough, they would take that old piece of leaven uh, dough and mix it back in and rehydrate it and remix it. And that alone, over a period of time, would leaven the new loaf. And then they would take a pinch off of that and pass it away. And there's an amazing picture there of how that leaven is passed on generationally from one loaf to another to the next and God is saying hey there comes a point even though your sin was passed on generationally from your parents from their parents from their parents all the way back to Adam and Eve that Christ came to purge us of our sin and to make us a new lump David I've never been so happy to be called a lump before and I've been called a lump before I've been accused of sitting like a lump on a log but uh, this is actually a lump I'm proud to be a part of it's the unleavened lump of Christ seven days seven days he says to keep this event the day of Passover is on the 14th of the month that's when the animal is slain that's when the meat is roasted that's when the bitter herbs were to be prepared but but God prescribed a memorial that would last for full seven days from the 14th day until the 21st day there's a few issues that are connected to that one is the idea that it is a big deal it's a big deal now, in our American calendar, there are a couple of days in the year that we know things are going to be closed, right? And, and in my lifetime and in your lifetime, that has even been reduced down mainly to Christmas, has it not? I mean, that's the one day that pretty much everything is closed. Even now, we start Black Friday shopping on Thanksgiving evening, now, Easter, while it is still celebrating, they sell lots of Easter clothes, uh, there are places that are open on Easter. Fourth uh, of July, uh, you'll find it hit and miss, but most of the times all of your hardware stores and improvement places are open because they know that people are at home outside and they want to go buy them a, a new, a new, uh, uh, a new uh, grill or work on the deck or something like that. And so just think about it. Just think about 
the impact something would have to have for you and I to say, you know what, in our country, in our culture, we're going we're gonna to stop everything else for seven full days, and we're just going to think about this. We're going to remember this. It doesn't happen. It does not happen in America where we take a full week to focus on something and shut everything else down. God wanted that in Israel because really, truly, this is the biggest deal that has ever happened on planet Earth until Christ came and became the fulfillment of that type that is prefigured there in the Lamb. And so an entire week, it, it deserves more than just one hour. It deserves more than just one day. It deserves more than just one weekend. God says, I want it to be a full week, seven days. By the way, if we pay attention to those numbers in Scripture, here's how you focus on those numbers in Scripture. Don't make a whole theology out of them. Let them kind of be the sprinkles on top of the theological cake. And so once I understand what the text has said, then I factor in and say, you know, this number seven is the number of completeness. That, that's the number that something is complete and that it is full uh, and that it is finished. And so here is that idea that this Passover is performed on the 14th day and then for seven days they are celebrating it and commemorating it and remembering it because it was complete. It was finished it was satisfying the requirements of God. They didn't have to do this for another year because it was complete. And by the way, when we look to the cross, we understand that that Passover, that day of atonement, that lamb that was sacrificed for us, satisfied, completely satisfied God's righteous requirements forever. Complete. A holy convocation. What's a holy convocation? Well... Uh, Holy Convocation is a large formal assembly. And they were to have one of those on the first day, and they were to have one of those on the seventh day. They were to bookend this week in the life of the people of Israel. There's no two ways around it. God has chosen to assemble his people together for religious or worshipful services. That's not, a, that's not an invention of the, uh, of the modern age. That's not a, even a new design with the New Testament church. While the church is an assembly by its very definition of the word, that is part of God's design all the way back to the days of Moses where God saw fit for his people to come together in these acts of worship and these acts of assembly because there is something... That happens dynamically when we come together corporately that does not always happen when we simply worship individually. Now this week was not just one big holy convocation. There was family time. There was individual time. But there was also assembly time. We get together because this is an event to be remembered. It's a holy convocation. It wasn't a party, it wasn't a ball game, it wasn't a family reunion, it was a religious service, it was a worship service. 
He also describes these acts that would be repeated from year after year that include the selecting of the lamb and the sacrificing of the lamb, the shedding of the blood and the applying of the blood to the doorposts of the house. And again, while those succeeding years of Passover uh, that blood was not the contingent upon whether the, uh, the destroyer would enter in or not. That only happened in Exodus 12. Every year, God had them replicate that. I am told that they most likely would have sacrificed that lamb near the front door of the house. What is called the basin here is not just a bowl, but actually it was somewhat of a ditch, a threshold in front of the house that, that was there on purpose to direct water away as they did not have guttering. And the indication is, is that as that lamb was sacrificed, that blood would have drained down into that basin on that threshold. And they would have taken the hyssop and dipped it in the basin. And then they would have painted, if you will, the lintel of the door and the two doorposts. And once that act was done, and once they went into that house and closed that door, that door was not to be opened again until the morning. Because it was the blood that was covering the inhabitants of that house. And it was the blood that satisfied the righteous requirements of God. It was the blood of a substitutionary atonement that secured the life of the firstborn in that house. And that was part of the memorial that they were to carry on every single year. And no doubt God was building up to the climactic point when Jesus would die on the cross and his blood blood would be shed and all those who come to him by faith would be covered by his blood satisfying the righteous requirements of God and then God's command is that they would pass it on to their children pass it on to their children he says to your sons your daughters that they would remember it forever you see the further each generation is removed uh, from the, the event, the easier it is to forget. The easier it is for it to have less impact. And so every generation needed their own Passover. Every generation needed their own Passover. Again, God is not just doing this for Israel. He is doing this for the future body uh, that he has planned, the church, and how that every generation must come to Christ on their own. My children can't get into heaven on my faith. God has no grandchildren. Every generation must have their own Passover. Every child, every person needs to have their own salvation experience. And say, okay, I understand memory is a powerful stimulant, but, but why go to this extent? Why go to all this trouble? I mean, that's a lot to put on these people. I mean, they've got to find a lamb. They've got to kill it. They've got to sacrifice. They've got to roast it. They've got to make the bitter herbs. They've got to make the unleavened bread. They've got to purge all the leaven out of their house. They've got to do that, that, that dirty job of painting the blood on the lintel and on the doorpost. I mean, Every single year, why did God go to this extent? And the fact is, there is a danger of not remembering. In fact, with all that God put in on the front end of this memorial, the people of Israel 
steal for God. If you would, look forward with me to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 2. In the timeline of things, the the Exodus, Exodus chapter 12, that happens. They cross the Red Sea. They're in the wilderness for about three months, and then they sin against God. They are then condemned to the wilderness for 40 years. They live those 40 years. A generation dies off. A new generation arises in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Moses is not allowed to lead them in. He addresses them. He passes away. Joshua then leads them in in the book of Joshua. And they go in and they begin settling the land and conquering the land. And then Judges picks up and it says this in Judges chapter 2 verse 7. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. So Joshua would have been an eyewitness. He would have participated in the Passover of Exodus 12. So all the years that he was alive, Israel remembered and observed. And even after he died, those elders who were born or came to age in the wilderness and were influenced by Joshua and uh, and that generation, they had seen the great works of God that he did for Israel. Verse 8 says, And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath-Herez in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill of Gaash, just in case you want to go find his grave today. Verse 10, And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. So the generation that outlived Joshua now passes away. And there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord nor the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. It happened to Israel. The danger of not remembering. You say, God went overboard with all of that memorial stuff. No, he didn't because he knew how prone his people are to forgetting. The further the way that they get away from that event, the easier it is for them to dismiss it and to drift away. And to make the connection for you and I, we face the same danger of not remembering. If you remember when Jesus addresses the churches in the book of Revelation, he says to the church at Ephesus, I've got something against you. You've left your first love. You know what his prescription is to the church at Ephesus? Remember. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art falling. Repent and do the first works. It was not only a danger for the people of Israel. It's a danger for the people of God today that we forget the most significant event that has ever happened, not just in human history, but in our own history, the Day of Atonement in which we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and the impact that it made on our lives. The good news is that God has given us a memorial to help us remember our Day of Atonement. If you would, let's go to the book of Luke. The book of Luke, chapter 22. 
Luke chapter 22, the context of this is that Jesus has made his last journey to Jerusalem. He entered the city on the 10th day of Nisan, the day when the lambs were being sequestered and brought to the temple. He goes to the temple himself in a symbolic act of presenting himself there. And then he spends those next few days sequestered with his disciples and with his close friends. And then on this day, this evening, they celebrate the Passover in the upper room. And it says in Luke chapter 22, verse 14, And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire, I have desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus is fully aware of the significance of this. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took the bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this Do in remembrance of me. Jesus sealed the Lord's Supper with these words. This do in remembrance of me. And so just as God prescribed that Passover memorial to help the people of Israel remember the substitutional atonement of the Lamb, Jesus Christ piggybacked it, if you will, on the memorial meal of the Passover, the very night he was betrayed, and he instituted a new memorial. Take this bread, take this cup, eat it and drink it in remembrance of me. Why? Because he knows that there is a danger of us not remembering. And so we should never forget what Christ did for us on the cross. Aren't you thankful that God has given you a memory? And sometimes we just need to stop all the other activity in life and go back and think about that day when Christ saved you, when Christ saved me. It can make a huge difference in the trajectory of our Christian life. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for these memory helps. We are prone to forget. It's easy for us to drift away in distance as we drift away in time. So easy for us to have significant, impactful events that happen in our life that are life-changing And yet somehow, as we grow older and get further away from it, they lose the impact that they once had. May this never be true of our salvation. May we always live in the freshness of our forgiveness. May we remember, Lord, what you did for us, and especially when we come to your table and we take the elements of the bread and we take the elements of the cup and we consume them 
may they be fresh reminders to us of your sacrifice for us on the cross, of your body that was broken, of your blood that was shed. And Lord, I pray and ask that we would not neglect to pass it on to our own children, but may they have their own salvation experience. May they have their own day of atonement. May they have their own Passover in Christ. Lord, let us not follow the path of your former people, but let us walk in remembrance, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.